Are you ready to take the lead in the dance of life? Fall in love with who you are right now and find uninhibited joy every day? Then it's time for you to flaunt your smart, sexy, and spiritual self. Join radio host Laura Cheadle and learn how the five steps of flaunt can help you quit seeking approval, proving your worth, and release you from the judgment of others. Express all that you are, discover your naked self-worth, and finally, enjoy the life you've worked so hard to create. Hello there. Welcome to Flaunt, Build Your Dreams and Live Your Sparkle. Today is going to be a slightly different show format because the topic is one that is deep, close, personal, and painful to me. But at the same time, it's a topic that I feel is very important to share to the world. In helping me get my message out, I have enlisted a brilliant thought leader, Alexia Vernon, who talks a lot about moxie and stepping into your moxie when you have a message to share, when you need to use your voice. Because of her brilliance around using your voice, I have asked her to do sort of a reverse interview with me. So we can talk about one of those things that we don't talk about. And one of those things is infidelity. Thank you for being here, Lex. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Laura. While there is no shortage of taboo topics in our society, infidelity is probably at the very top of that list, at least discussing it is, because as we both know, engaging in it is actually quite common. In preparation for today, I did a little bit of research, and I was stunned to discover that approximately 40% of unmarried relationships and 25% of marriages see at least one act of infidelity at some point. But in an issue of Marriage and Divorce Journal, it was stated that 70% of all Americans engage in some kind of affair during their marital life. I'm honored, Laura, that you asked me to shepherd you through sharing your story of how infidelity has impacted your marriage, your work in the world, and above all else, your relationship with yourself. Our hope, collectively, is that for you, listener, <laughs> whether you have experienced infidelity in your family or not, that our conversation will help you, in Laura's words, to better understand your truth, untangle your self-worth from the things that have happened to you, and feel more able to use your voice in a way that allows you to flourish. So with that said, Laura, are you ready for us to dive in? Absolutely. Around the time that we first met, which was in the Spotlight Speaker Accelerator Coaching Program, and for a little bit of context, this was a program that I lead where Laura was in the throes of creating her signature speech, how she wanted to be known in the world. And I remember you showing up to one of our first, or at least one of our early group coaching calls, and you said that everything you knew to be true and relied upon, you had realized was false. And... The worst part was that the person you would normally go to whenever you needed a partner, an ally, a best friend, he 
was the catalyst for it. After 23 years of marriage and 27 years together, you discovered that your husband, Sean, had not only had an affair, but that throughout your entire marriage had been unfaithful. Before we dive deeper, however, I wanna, I wanna back up a bit and I wanna talk about you, for this is your story. At this point, you were really secure and confident in your life, in your marriage, in your role as a mom and as a partner. And you had worked really hard to do all the right things. And for the most part, it had paid off. For example, your husband and you had both been lawyers, you had intense, successful careers, but together you had decided that you would be the one to step back from your career so he would be free while you were raising a family to travel, to network, to sit on boards, and do all the things that he needed to do for the family to be able to thrive. Because you had the ability to be at home, he was free from having to worry about childcare, child rearing, or anything to do with the home, with family. Plus, both of your sons had sensory integration issues, and you were really clear that someone needed to manage all of those appointments and therapies. Um, and it was a sacrifice that you said you were willing to, to make because it was good for the family. And as anyone who's been married or raised kids knows, um, marriage, family, it's not easy stuff. There are perpetually ups and downs. But you had this mindset and skill set of divide and conquer and get through it together. You prided yourself on always striving to do right by everyone. So when you'd have fights and disagreements, you were really clear that it wasn't going to bother you for the most part. You knew it was a normal part of marriage and life, and that above all else, that you loved each other, that you and Sean had tons of fun together, and you wanted your life together. You are 100% secure in that knowledge, and it was that knowledge that really formed the foundation of your entire life, that knowledge that you were partners, that you both made sacrifices, albeit different ones, that you were two individual people who had a lot of different ideas at times because you're both passionate, smart, strong-willed folks, but that you agreed that you loved each other, that you loved co-creating a life together. You didn't question that. And yet, after 23 years of marriage and 27 years together, you felt you were finally at a point where like this next new exciting season of life could come to fruition, where you could reap the rewards from all those sacrifices. Your youngest was about to graduate from high school. Your older son, if I'm correct, was in college at that point. Your husband was at the pinnacle of his success in his legal career. You finally were going to have more time for you to be able to travel together, but also to be able to step into a new season of your career and to scale your coaching and your speaking business. And above all, at long last, it was just going to be you and Sean, the two of you together again. And then the rug was pulled out from under you. Everything you believe to be true about your life, about your family, about your shared values, about your marriage was turned upside down, truly overnight. Laura, would you take 
first a deep healing breath and tell and tell listeners about that day that you found out it was it reminded me of the movie the truman show for those of you who haven't seen it it's a jim carrey movie where he finds out that his entire life isn't his life that his entire life is a movie set and all the characters in his life aren't who they think they are. They're all actors and they're all just playing with him and that his house is just a set and his town is just a set. I couldn't understand what was happening. It made no sense to me. I, it, that was the biggest part of it. It wasn't like, oh, of course, this completely makes sense. I should have seen this coming. I couldn't reconcile any of it because we had such a great relationship and so much fun together. And I kept thinking that it couldn't be true except for the fact that he was telling me it was true. And more than anything, it wasn't even hurt at first. It was such deep confusion that how could this be true? It figuratively and literally brought me to my knees and I couldn't process how this could happen and how it could be true. For those who may not know you or who certainly don't know you deeply, would you be comfortable sharing with us how you found out? Yes, it was, it was a series of, in the, in the infidelity world, they talk about D-Day. You know, what was the D-Day? What was that day that you found out? And for me, since there were so many affairs with so many different women, there were five different women over 15 years. So it wasn't like he came to me and said, oh, here we go. It was the house of cards started crumbling and I would notice him on his phone and he would put it down. And I think, well, that's really odd. He's getting on his phone a lot. So at one point, the, the, the first point I was, my mom called me on his phone and I walked away with the phone and he got really nervous. And I thought that doesn't make sense. So I told my mom, I'm going to call you right back. And I looked down at the phone and I started looking through messages and I found a bunch of very inappropriate messages from a mutual friend. So I confronted him on that and we had discussion around that. And that was just an online, just an online affair, but it was just an online affair. And I started questioning more at that point. It was six months later, I got a card in the mail with a picture of him from one of the women. And it was a picture of a screenshot that he had sent her. So that was another, wow, another woman, another sequence, another series. Then again, I started looking through different texts, started putting some things together, um, asked him for his phone. Of all things, I went to the sent items folder in his email, and there was an email from 
15 years ago that he had sent that was like the start of this other affair, started questioning him some more, started doing some more research, found out about two other affairs. So it was this series of literally over six months, it kept falling and kept falling and kept falling. And it was that last, the, the last day was finally when I confronted him on all of this. And it was like, how can this be? And that's when he was like, yes, yes. There were all of these women for all of these different years. And he, he didn't have to tell me, I found out, but then he did confirm that, yes, that, that the worst of my suspicions were true. There had been multiple women for the entire course of our marriage. As these revelations unfolded, how did you keep yourself from, the only word I can think of is combusting. <laughs> oh, believe me, I did. There, it was weird, the range of emotions, and you hear about it, but until you experience it, you don't fully understand it. Obviously, the first I was devastated at first. It hit me. I kept, I, I internalized it. Why am I not good enough? Why am I not pretty enough? Why am I not smart enough? Why am I not a good enough wife? Why am I not a good enough mom? What's wrong? What's wrong with my body? What's wrong with, you know, me in bed? What's wrong with, it, it's, you look at yourself and it devastates you and you want to die. Like literally, I have never wanted to die. But the shame that comes up in what have I done wrong? Why am I so inferior that he had to do this? And then this judging, this surreal judging comes in and you look at the other women and you put yourself as less than them. And it's this weird, sick judging game. And then at the same time as that's going on, there's this rational part of your brain saying, no, I am good enough. I was, a, I was an amazing wife. I made all of these sacrifices. I fought fair. I read the marriage books. I took care of the kids. I, you know, and all of these things that you did right. And then you look in the mirror and you think, no, I, I am good. I am. People like me. So you're doing this deep dive into I'm not good enough. And then this affirming, yes, I am good enough. And then this, what's wrong with you? What in the heck is wrong with you? And how dare you? And the rage, I have never felt rage like that. And it was interesting too, because sometimes the rage would be directed at the other women and not at him. Mm. And then at the same time, it would go back to him. And then it was just bouncing all around. And then the friendships in our world, the rage of that, why did you not tell me? And who, who knew? And you're just up and down and, and then strong one minute. And then I spent so many hours sobbing on the floor, not able to stand up. And then I would you know, become empowered and I'd, I'd find things online and I'd, I'd do all of this work and I'd go to my metaphysical bookstore and I'd get workbooks and I'd do online programs and I'd be like, yes, I mean, you're just all over the place and you're grasping at any straw, any straw. And to make matters worse, I, I love working out and I've always been a dancer and I'm very into my body. And during the last fight where I found everything out. I had Sean's phone 
And I was trying to keep going through the emails and he was trying to get it away from me and we were struggling and he stepped on my foot as I went to run away and he shattered my baby toe and I couldn't, I couldn't physically walk <laughs> and I couldn't, I couldn't work out. I couldn't walk. My go-to thing was dancing it out, running it out. I couldn't even use my body because I couldn't put any weight on my right foot. So to make it ma matters worse, I'm grasping at every straw and my go-to straw, which is movement, isn't there. And now I have to lay on my back with my foot propped up and be in physical pain as well as have this excruciating heartbreak and mental anguish over how could this be possible. As you have so... eloquently described trauma and grief are a tricky business. And you've said that in the immediate aftermath in those first few weeks, it felt like a weird paradox. On one hand, it felt like, as you described, you had lost everything. But it also felt like you were the one holding all the cards. Can you explain that? Yes. Um, I think many listeners can relate to this. We have these ideas about how, how, how we want our life to be, how we want things to change. And then life is so busy that we don't do it. We just get caught up in that day-to-day -day living. And I never realized before how precious it is to be busy, <laughs> how amazing it is to be like, yeah, I can put in the laundry and I can do the dishes and I've got to take the kids. That routine is so comforting because we rely on it. And even when we're, you know, bitching about our husband or whining about how uncontrollable our kids are, whatever it is, that routine is our security. And it's that net that holds us together. And suddenly I had no net. I was completely free falling in life. And yes, I had friends, but when you're in trauma and in that much grief, nobody knows what to say. Nobody knows what to do. And even when they do, it doesn't help. It just feels like they're placating you. And it was like, I'm here. This is my life. I am literally the only thing I have. I have no husband. I have friends and family around me, but nobody gets it. All I have is me. And I need to go forward because I decided I didn't want to kill myself. And it's me that can decide this life. And I have complete power. I could, I knew at that point, I could destroy Sean's life. I could take him for all he's worth. I could destroy his career. I knew all of these women because they were, I wouldn't even say friends, but they were acquaintances of me. I could destroy everybody. I could take everybody down. I could divorce Sean. I could start over. I could move. I could like, literally I held everyone's life in my hands because I had all of this information and I knew that what they did was so wrong that I could create my life going forward however I wanted to. And that was 
startling because my rage and my power at that point, I knew I could do a lot of damage, but I kept thinking, what is that damage going to do to me? <laughs> mm. Because my soul is not that. My heart is not that. And I really had to just step back and think, who am I at my core? And what am I going to do with this? Because I have all the power going forward. I have all the cards. And this is the complete stop, the complete break in my life. This is my watershed moment. And what am I going to make of myself and my life going forward? And I knew this was my time. One of the many reasons I adore you is your commitment to operating from a place of integrity, even when, especially when, it would be warranted not to. As you chose to stay in a place of both honesty and curiosity, what were some of the first things as you moved out of the immediacy of the revelation you chose to do in terms of exploring possibilities in your relationship with Sean, but also how you wanted to move forward for yourself? It was, it was interesting. I, have, I was a lawyer for 10 years. <laughs> There's a lot of me that wants to know the root cause of things. What, what's, what, why would this happen? When I found out about the first affair, I was more inclined to leave because it was like, whoa, boundary been crossed. You're out of here. Not okay. Not okay. As I started learning about all of the affairs in Mind you, the affair, it was never just one woman. It was never, it was always multiple women the entire time, overlapping and all. It didn't make sense. And I kept thinking, I don't understand this. I don't understand. And then, like I said, I had this rational part and not to be egocentric, but I was a really good wife. I was a really good mom. I made a lot of sacrifices and I did things well. And Sean and I both, we strive for excellence, you know, whether it's in our career or our marriage, we want to do things at a high level and we operated at that high level and we're a really good match for each other and we're, we have fun together. And I kept thinking it doesn't make sense. And again, not to put it on the purely physical, but when you talk about relationships and infidelity, people think physical. Objectively, I was better looking and in better shape than the affair partners. So it's not like, oh, he was just so caught off guard because, you know, Angelina Jolie seduced him. <laughs> it's, so I kept thinking, it doesn't make sense. It, there's nothing that I can hang my hat on. It's not like I can say, ooh, this incredibly beautiful woman, woman seduced him and I can have compassion for that. It wasn't that I could say we could never connect mentally or we could never connect physically or he was always on me to do something different. It was, there was nothing I could hang my hat on as to why this would happen, if that makes sense. So I, I was curious. I didn't understand why something so good and why something that was so solid could be wrong. 
And like I said, when I found out about the first, first relationship, I was more inclined. I would, that's when I was like, and you're moving out. This is not okay. <laughs> and the more I found out, the more I kept thinking, something is wrong. What is wrong? Why? It's like when you heard about a serial killer who had a totally normal home life. <laughs> what, what is wrong? It didn't make any sense. And I was really determined to get to the bottom of it because it didn't make sense. And I kept thinking in order for my own healing, I was very, very concerned about myself at that place, at that point, standing in my integrity, standing in my truth, doing it right, but understanding for me, why did this happen? Because if it could happen to me and to our relationship, then I felt like it could happen to anybody and I didn't understand why. So yeah, go ahead. Can we talk about that? Because I think for those listening, that's probably one of the thoughts that's coming up is how, how did you get to the place where you were able to shift from asking the questions about what was my role in this situation to um, recognizing this is actually about Sean and his own relationship to his voice and to his power. Mm -hmm. it, it, it didn't take very long, um, which was kind of shocking. I allowed myself the grace and the space to grieve so deeply and so intently that I, that I think it helped. Also, when he was living apart from me, he was really sad too. And I would call him because I would say, I, you're my comfort, you're my rock. And he'd say the same thing about me. I want you and you want me. And it was only, I think, a week and a half in when he came over one day and he said, I am a really bad man. And then he said, no, I'm not a really bad man. I'm really broken. And this has nothing to do with you. You did it all right. And he said, you actually did, in some ways, you did everything too right, which caused me to feel more broken. And this is about me, not you. And it was the truth and the energy around those words. It wasn't, you did this, you caused it, it and it wasn't, oh, feel sorry for me. It was an honest breakdown from him that I'm really broken. And, and to take a step back from that, what I did know about Sean, and, and it's not about his story, it's about my story, except that his story does come into play because it impacted me. He was an, a horrifically abused child. He was in foster care. He suffered emotional abuse, horrible emotional abuse, physical abuse, extreme poverty, um, and if you understand or have heard anything about like, the, you know, attachment, he had a very insecure attachment and was raised with very conditional love. Whereas I had a very secure childhood and I was very conditional. So the ups and downs in our marriage, I would view as normal ups and downs. The ups and downs for him, he would think every time we had a fight, that's it. Laura's leaving. She's out of here. She's taking the kids and she's leaving and I'm, I'm being abandoned. And it would literally put him into that fight, flight or freeze mode and he would run. And that's why there were so many affairs constantly because every time he would feel threatened, he would run because his instinct was protect. I've got to protect myself. I've got to protect myself. 
Well, as you know, being married and raising kids, there's a lot of ups and downs in life. And sometimes the ups and downs didn't even have to do with me. It would be a career stress. And he would think if I, I mean, it's so irrational, but the subconscious is a, a irrational. He would think it, I'm in a career, a stressful place in my career. I won't be a good provider. Therefore, Laura will leave me. Therefore, I will be abandoned. Therefore, I need to seek out some other women because at least I'll have a place to go when she leaves me. So it was the curiosity and his willingness to say, I know I'm broken. And for me, knowing our history and for me, knowing his pain that I knew it was honest, that I knew it wasn't just some story. I knew there was a lot of deep emotional pain there because we've been through a lot dealing with his childhood. I know that you individually and collectively have done a lot of deep healing work. Can you talk a little bit about what that process looked like what resources, therapies, and so forth you utilized to rebuild, and I would say to reset your marriage. Yeah. It's right away, there's so many blessings, so many blessings along the way. Like I said, my foot was broken and I couldn't work out, so I was, I was tied to the computer, which for good or for bad, I started, because I'm a lawyer, I have to research everything. <laughs> so I went into my research mode and I researched infidelity. And one of the places that, there's so many, there's so many different programs online, but one of the programs is, um, based on a book called My Husband's Affair Was the Best Thing That Ever Happened to Me. And that title just brought me so much hope. You know, not even reading the book or anything, I just thought, wow, I can take this pain and ever, can I say that? And the, the couple, I, I can't even get the words out, I'm too emotional. <laughs> but they run an infidelity seminar. And I called them right away. I started reading some of their blogs and they talked about when a person goes in, does, commits adultery, you know, is unfaithful, it's about them. And they're very clear that it's about them. It's not about the relationship. And they show all the different reasons why. And finally, you know, I said earlier, I couldn't hang my hat on anything. Finally, reading Ann Birch's articles, it was like, oh, I can hang my hat on this. I understand. When we're in a relationship where it's such a mirror, and I could see Sean's pain more clearly than he could see his own pain, just like he could see my pain more clearly than I could see mine. And every, everything that I'd read, I think I understand that. I called her right away. She spoke with me, Sean spoke with her husband, her husband had had an affair, so there's this no shame. It's, I did this, you did it. Same thing with connecting with her. It was like, oh, you're a betrayed spouse, I'm a betrayed spouse too, we're still worthy. They had a four-day seminar. We flew to New Jersey, we did this four-day seminar with 17 other couples who were going through what Sean and I were going through. And it makes you feel normal because you don't think you're normal. You think everything is wrong with you and everything is wrong with your spouse. And, and you think everybody will judge you and people do judge you. I'm just going to say that people judge you horribly. 
and to spend four days with all of these other couples and to sob and to cry and to have people understand because you don't understand until you've been through it was so healing. And they gave us work to complete before the workshop and they gave us six months of calls afterwards where we could share our journey. On top of that, Sean and I each saw individual therapists. And on top of that, we continued to see a marriage therapist for each of us. And it's, it's been so good because I had mentioned that mirror, but there was so much that I could see in Sean that now my pain would reflect back to him that he hadn't seen before. And same thing, I, I thought, oh, I'm, I'm the betrayed spouse. I'm perfect. <laughs> I'm, I, I hated the word victim, but it was like, I didn't do this and I didn't cause it. And I didn't. I didn't do it and I didn't cause it. And it was done to me. But I can also see in myself where I wasn't owning my worth. And that was my biggest growth point. I didn't cause this, but I didn't own my worth throughout our marriage. And stepping into that support role of raising kids and taking care of things at home, I stepped out of my power. And when I stepped out of my power, I allowed him to control. And it really helped me start owning my voice and my worth again and taught me new ways that I can continue to serve, but from my place of integrity, not from his. So no, it has not been an easy journey. And even as early as last week, we were watching a movie and he burst into tears and said, I just got something. And we've both had our therapy appointments and we've talked about it and we've journaled about it. It's, it's a deep, long, painful journey but I'm so much stronger and he for the first time is truly free as well. There's so much wisdom to unpack in everything you've said. One of the things that stands out for me is how integral it was for each of you to unhook from the self judgment and the assumption even if it was born out of truth that other people were judging as well in order to make space for healing and your individual reclamation of, of, of your personal power. I'm curious, and I would imagine others might be as well, that as you went through this process, was there ever a moment where you said, I'm in it? I'm not going anywhere. We are going to rebuild. We are going to rise again. Or was it more of a slow evolving revelation? It may sound crazy, but I like crazy. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> From day one, I couldn't imagine not rebuilding. And I don't want to say that from a place of the abused woman. I need him in my world. It wasn't that. It was that, wow, 
I don't understand this and I need to understand this. And we are so committed towards each other. And early on, that first maybe week and a half, when he was more, this is your fault, it's because you drove me to it, when he was a little bit more of that classic not owning it, I, and, and all my friends are like, you know, leave him, take him for all he's worth, go girl, go, you know, that first week and a half, I was kind of like, yeah, and I did see a divorce attorney, and I did start proceedings during that week, but that, it never felt right. It never felt right. It was maybe that week and a, after a week and a half when he said, I am so broken and this is not about you. That literally was the moment where I, I could exhale for the first time and I knew that we were going to walk this journey together. And I didn't know where it would lead, but I knew we were going to walk that journey together. Because I knew his, his statement and his owning that was the end that I needed to understand what was going on. And what my therapist had told me, and I thought this was brilliant advice, <laughs> is she said, if you file for divorce now and you cut all ties now, you pretty much seal the deal. But going forward, if you want to stay in the game, you stay in the game for as long as you want to stay in the game, and you will know if and when it's right to leave. And I thought, you know what, there's a lot of wisdom in that because I do need to know what's going on. And this has been my 27 years of life, and I can't just wash that away. I need to make sense of it, and I want to make sense of it. And I kept staying in the game and kept staying in the game and it kept feeling right. And I kept getting these nuggets of information that it's like when you have the kaleidoscope and you twist it and all of a sudden the picture comes into focus. I would look back on our life and he would tell me something and I'd think, oh, I get that. And then our therapist would describe, okay, well, do you know, you know, he's raised by narcissistic parents. Do you know children of narcissists often do X, Y, and Z? And he'd be like, I do that. And it'd be like, oh, I get that. And then my response to you is the classic response. Oh, I get that. So then all of a sudden things would come into focus. It's not you. It's not me. One of my favorite phrases, and I can't say this without crying, but an abnormal response to an abnormal situation is normal. <laughs> and there were so many things in our marriage that I would think, wow, this is so weird. He's so weird. I don't get it. Wow, his family culture is so different. I don't get it. It was an abnormal response to an abnormal situation, and he was normal. And my psycho crazy response sometimes to his abnormal response was also normal. And the further along this journey we went, the more it made sense. And it felt so good to have it make sense. And he saw me for the first time. And I saw him for the first time, completely without our defenses. And it was so ironic because my work around flaunt is all around dropping your cover. And it's all around being vulnerable and revealing your heart. And that's fun and that's flirty. But oh my gosh, for me... To see him as a man who <laughs> was with five different women on and off over the course of our relationship, and for him to talk about 
how that felt and how he was acting out and how it hurt him to be with these women because he would be doing it like a naughty kid to act out. Oh yeah, I'm going to show you. And to see his pain in talking about that and to know that he was hurting me, but that I could hold space and see him. And on the flip side that I could sob and rage. We did one seminar with another person at, you know, in Boulder where it was the feminine rage and I could rage at him for the pain that he caused me. And then he could hold it and that we could see each other truly raw. You know, you talk about, oh, be raw and vulnerable, but we were really raw and really vulnerable. And that's beautiful. And that connection just keeps getting stronger and we keep sharing more and it keeps getting deeper. And yes, our relationship is so much deeper because there is nothing hidden. There is nothing off the table at all to the point that we could even start as warped as it sounds joking about it a little bit at this point which feels really refreshing. But yeah, we know each other so much, <laughs> so much deeper than I ever thought it was even possible to know another person. For anyone listening who has experienced trauma of any form, whether it's um, sexual, physical, emotional, whatever it is, might have had an experience that I have on the other side of sexual abuse where you look back and you realize that while you would not wish what you have gone through on anyone, who you've become as a result of being resilient in the midst of trauma is something you would not take back. But I would imagine that within this particular trauma, restoring trust was challenging <laughs> at best, brutal at times at worst. And I'm curious, um, you know, despite having had a really rollicking sex life with Sean, no doubt this must have played a <laughs> profound role in adjusting what intimacy looked like. And so how were you? individually and collectively able to restore trust and come back to a place of intimacy? It was difficult um, for me and for our experience, which I have come to learn infidelity is not one thing. Infidelity there are so many reasons. There are so many causes. There are so many shades. There are so many different causes and forms of infidelity. But for ours, it literally had nothing to do with sex. It had to do with him not wanting to be hurt. It literally was his protection against not wanting to be hurt. And because we were so bonded, because we had, we had a fantastic sex life. We had an amazing relationship because we were so bonded. The stakes were higher and his threat of getting hurt was higher. Mm -hmm. 
which sounds so backwards. But you've heard about the cycle of abuse. For us, it was the cycle of infidelity. When things would get too good, he would literally panic and create a fight and then go out and cheat. And things would build and they would get too good and he would panic and he'd create a fight and he'd go out and cheat because he'd need the excuse. And, you know, he, and he talks about that. I'd, I'd create this fight. I'd start attacking you to create this fight so I'd have a reason. So that said, there's not, I don't want to say I didn't trust him because I did lose trust. <laughs> but as I would start to understand the cycle and I would start to look back on our marriage and I would start to see, because I'd always be confused. Why is he picking a fight with me now? We just got back from our anniversary trip. Whoa. Okay. I, I guess his job is really stressful because we were homeless in 24 hours and he's picking a fight. Understanding that cycle, understanding what it was about, we don't have that cycle anymore. So we don't have that cycle. I don't feel that threat anymore. Now, early on, I would think, oh my gosh, he has to go on a business trip. I'm in a complete panic. He would do things that would help me. We would do video calls. He would answer my call immediately, no matter where he was at, no matter what he was doing. I went on a few different trips with him. Um, so I think the biggest thing was understanding the cycle. Since we broke down his entire cycle of infidelity over those 15 years, literally I keep calendars and I do scrapbooks and I'm meticulous with my records. And as horrible as it sounds, we would go through day at a time. And I knew dates, I know times, I know locations, I know women, I knew everything. And I knew the fight that precipitated that. And I knew the good event that precipitated that. So having that depth of understanding helped with my trust. Seeing him sob and cry and say he's eternally sorry that it was about him and his pain. And having that understanding, like he would say, growing up, he, and again, it's not his story, but some context. Growing up, he was horrifically abused and he wet the bed till he was 15 because of some of that abuse and because of some of the traumas. He went to six different middle schools in two years. He could never attach to anybody. <laughs> he was always shamed for the bedwetting. For him to move into shame is incredibly threatening. For him to move into the shame over the affairs is incredibly threatening. And for him to be able to, you know, in therapy, in the safe space, talk about the shame that he felt towards me and towards hurting me and towards abandoning our family and towards all of that, I understood the depth and the pain of that emotion. It wasn't just words. Oh, I'm really sorry. Wipe away the tear. I felt his shame. <laughs> I felt He'd say, I'm not the bad guy, but my whole life I've been set up to be the bad guy. And for once in my life, I was going to own that bad guy. And I was going to be that bad guy. And I was going to move in into it. And I was going to show anybody because nobody was going to hurt me again. And he meant that. And I understood that. So I was able to trust because I knew the pain and I saw 
the growth that was happening. And again, it was, I knew very clearly because of that, that it wasn't about me. And also on a non, non-emotional level, on a more trivial level, <laughs> he would share that in movies, you see this hot affair and it's this passion and it's this great thing. And he said he would have that image in his mind. And he would move into it and he'd think, I'm going to do this. I'm going to show Laura. I'm going to be the bad guy. I'm going to prove it. I'm going to do it. And she's going to leave me and I'm going to be fine because I have this hot affair going on. He said, it's never hot. He said, first of all, the women that you can find that are willing to have an affair with a married man are not high quality women. They're not good people. There's not an emotional connection. There's not a physical connection. He didn't want to be there in the first place. He wanted to be safe at home. He wanted to be protected at home. He wanted to be seen and known and loved and heard at home. He didn't want to feel threatened. He was there as a defense. Yeah, I'm going to take this. I'm going to show you. And he said it was always excruciating emotionally and physically just having random sex is awkward and it's not good because good sex requires a strong emotional connection, which he never got. So he said on top of the shame that led him there and then the shame of having the affair And he also said he knew he was kind of a predator towards these women because he was using them and the shame around that. And then the shame around not being able to perform and to have this hot sex moment that you think about in the movies. He said it literally made him nauseous. And knowing how I would feel in that situation and knowing his heart, I understood that nausea. And again, that made my ability to trust him again better because I understood the cycle. I saw it in our life. I know who he is and I understand how that must feel. I I really had to move into a lot of compassion, but the level of trust really is there because it's not, it's, it's not pretty. Have infidelity is not pretty for the person, for the betraying spouse, as well as for the betrayed partner. It's not pretty. And I understand that. So I do trust him because of all of that processing, if that makes sense. (laughs) Well, and vulnerability and truth-telling are not always pretty. They might get championed as the thing, but they can be incredibly messy and challenging, and yet they are consistently the pathway back to empowerment. Speaking of empowerment, these last two-ish years, I guess, since the discovery You have definitely, as you know, I like to say, stepped into your moxie. You've grown a women's empowerment coaching business. You've led retreats. You've published your book, Flaunt. You've been interviewed dozens and dozens of times. You've continued to be visible as a burlesque performer. How has this experience allowed you to connect more boldly to your truth and to express it in the world? I love that question. It has enabled me to completely untangle myself and my worth from anybody or anything. 
When I said earlier, you know, that I held all the cards and I knew I had to design my life going forward, I meant that. I meant that with such passion and power and fierce determination. It's not even funny. And I knew I could fully step into my moxie and flaunt and say, yes, I did dance burlesque and I still do dance burlesque. Affairs are not about sex. Burlesque is not about sex. It's a part of my self-expression and it's important to me and it has nothing to do with the affairs. I thought I could hide. I could pretend to be perfect, to have this perfect little marriage that never has been rocked. Or I could start speaking about it and say, you know what? It's awful. (laughs) There were some really good times. There still are some really good times and there are some awful times. And this is what happened. And this is what I've learned from it. And I know, oh, I know I can help people because I know there are so many broken people out there. I know there's so much that's being hidden. And it's really empowered me to untangle shame, what other people will think, what other people will do for myself and just to stand in it because I've lost friendships over this. We have lost friendships. We are willing to talk, to share, to explain. But there are people that will say, uh-uh, you should have left him and I can't support that. Fine. It has really allowed me to know myself and to say, this is what I need to do for me. When I said earlier, I knew I could shame these other women. I could take Sean down. I could ruin lives. I really had to step into my integrity and to know who I am. And who I am is a person of a lot of integrity. And it doesn't matter to me if you are or aren't. This is my version of integrity. And if I'm wrong, which I am sometimes, that's okay. I'm still standing in my truth and standing in my power. And I have no control over what anybody else does. You know, even in my relationship with Sean, we're very vulnerable. We've come a long way, but ultimately I have no control over what he might decide to do in the future. And I can either trust that what we've created is beautiful and whole and powerful and glorious, and I can move forward, or I can be suspicious and fearful and hunker down and try to pull him in, and I'm not going to be that person. This experience has really defined my boundaries as to who I am, what I choose to do, what other people are, what they choose to do. And it has solidified in me that I get to be happy. I get to be happy no matter what. And it's up to me to be happy. And this experience happened to me And it was awful. And I laid on the floor, but I could still have moments of happiness. And I still going forward can have moments of happiness, no matter what happens. You know, we're in the middle of the coronavirus right now. A lot of bad things are happening. I can still be happy and I can still make myself happy. I'm going to be facing death. I'm going to be facing a lot of things in my life. And I need to untangle myself from a lot of that drama. I can still feel deeply. People will betray me. I'm sure they will, whether it's physically or emotionally or in whatever capacity. I could be quote unquote victimized. 
And I don't want to say that's okay. But when I can untangle myself from whatever happens to me and still find that grace and that place inside, when I can, the last T of uh, flaunt is trust in your truth. And for me, that's what it has boiled down to. Everything else has literally been stripped away. And when everything else is stripped away, I am left with my truth. And that's enough. That is literally enough. And it's a hard place to be. And like you said, it's not a journey I wish on anybody. But circling back around, everything I thought to be true was not true. Everything. 27 years worth of we and us and sacrifice was no longer true. And I was still breathing. (laughs) And even though I was on the floor a lot and crying a lot, I was still here. And the sun was still coming up and I would still sit outside and I could still feel that place inside of me that was me. And that's my truth. And that was enough. I'm so proud of who you have given yourself permission to become. Your fierce commitment to sharing unapologetically your experiences, the good, the bad, the confusing, so that other people don't have to learn the same lessons. They can learn their own set of messy lessons, right? That's why those of us who are called to speak and to coach do what we do. I would imagine that there are people who are listening today who chose to listen because they have been in relationships where there has been infidelity, whether that was them or their partner. They have grown up in families like I have, where they experienced as a child infidelity infidelity, and that radically shaped their own sense of identity, how they show up in their relationships. And I appreciate you situating this conversation where we are in the middle of the COVID-19 pandemic, where there are other people who may not relate specifically to this particular issue, but they are seeing their dreams for themselves, for their families, feel like they are slipping away and they don't know how to move forward. Would you share a little bit, Laura, about what you want your community to most take away and put into practice in their own lives based on your evolution these last couple of years? Yes. I truly think the most important thing is to continue to untangle, to continue to step into your truth, to ask yourself who you are and who you want to be. Because you're the only one that can show up. (laughs) And you truly have to decide how you want to show up and who you want to be. Because your life really is about you. And to untangle from the situations and from people and from stories, from stories that infidelity is bad or abuse is bad or I am a victim because, to release that attachment and to allow yourself just to be. 
Because when you can literally just be, you do start to shine. And I'm not saying, yay, it's all sunshine and, you know, rainbows and happiness, but you do start to be and you do start to realize the beauty of who you are and the beauty of life. And I really want to point out that it's not easy. These last two years have been the hardest of my life. And yes, how dark did it get? I wanted to die. Sean thought about suicide. Neither of us wanted to go forward in this. And it's okay to get that dark. And then it's okay to get that sad. But when you release that story and just breathe, in every breath, in every moment, that beauty is there. And that's what I do want to leave my audience, your audience, anybody's audience who gets this with, is I don't care if you call it faith or hope or love or shine or sparkle or moxie or flaunt or whatever you call it. We all have that thing inside that can only be found when we're breathing and when we're releasing from everything else. So with that, I will close the show and thank you again from the bottom of my heart. And listeners, no matter what you're going through, just keep breathing. Just keep holding on. Go through those dark times. <laughs> and again, thank you for being with me. And always remember to flaunt, even if flaunting means opening your eyes <laughs> and taking in one breath. Tune in next time to Flaunt. Build your dreams, live your sparkle with radio host Laura Cheadle every Wednesday at 7 a.m. and 7 p.m. Eastern Time on syndicated Dream Vision 7 Radio Network. Overcome the need to please and find the uninhibited joy of being exactly who you are right now. Come find your fetish, laugh out loud, accept unconditionally, navigate the negative, and trust in your truth. Find out more and get your free gift at lauracheadle.com. That's L-O-R-A-C-H-E-A-D-L-E dot com.